Hi, this is Dr. Ziegenbein, your favorite rheumatologist and fibromyalgia expert coach. Fibromyalgia has the capacity to rule and even ruin your life. I am here to show you how to stand up to it, how to be your fibromyalgia boss, once and for all. Well, hello, everyone. I have a very exciting guest for you today, Dr. Jill Bailey. She's a physician who lives and works in Canada, and we chatted a little bit before we came on, but I'm just going to say a few sentences, and then I'm going to let Dr. Bailey introduce herself. The reason I invited her on my podcast is because... um, She used to be a family practice physician and she transitioned into psychotherapy and I found it really fascinating. And uh, she will share some experiences with her, how that happened. She studied medicine at McMaster University and then went on to do her family medicine residency at East General Hospital in Toronto. She still lives in Canada in province Ontario and she used to do family medicine until recently. Jill, would you welcome to my podcast podcast, Winning at Fibromyalgia. Would you like to introduce yourself or how do you introduce yourself to your clients and listeners? Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Martina, for having me. It's really an honor. And yeah, your introduction sums it up. I I still work in um, Orangeville, Ontario, which is a small town just about an hour north of Toronto. And I was placed here actually for my second year of residency. And my husband and I just never left. We made friends here. We had our first baby here. And um, we really enjoyed the practice and the hospital. It's a great town, the size for a family doctor to be able to work in the office and in the community. And my my office was in the same property as the hospital. So I can just run right over when I was doing obstetrics. It was really easy. And oh, okay. yeah, and then of course, you know, COVID-19 hit back in 2020. And prior to that, as family physicians in Ontario, we were not able to get compensated for taking care of patients in a virtual platform, like, you know, telephone calls or video. Right. And then of course, with the pandemic and everybody staying home, at least for, you know, things that didn't necessarily need a physical exam, these billing codes were created. And this really, you know, turned into be this real silver lining for me because an organization that I'd done some continuing education with in the past called CBT Canada, they started a fellowship for family doctors to really do like a deeper dive into full length psychotherapy sessions. Prior to that, and we were doing what was called like 10 minute CBT. So just like little tips that you could use. Can you let my list, sorry to interrupt, can you let oh, my yeah. listeners know what does what CBT stand for just in case? Not oh every, yes, I didn't know you, until Martina. several months ago. <laughs> no problem. Yes, yeah, so CBT stands for cognitive behavioral therapy. I know we're all about our acronyms in medicine. Yeah. And what, so if I may ask, what made you, if, you know, I don't know many physicians who choose to do psychotherapy training. So what made you switch? What made you take that route, if you will? Yeah. Well, so I was actually considering doing the life coach school coach certification program and really just not sure if it was the right thing for me. And, and also really not feeling content in my family practice as much as I you know, was sort of working on other aspects of, of, of burnout at that time. And then this opportunity came up to do this fellowship and something inside of me just said, you know, try this out. This will be helpful. Uh, This will be a good idea. And at first I thought it would be maybe just some interesting continuing education, you know, try something different during the pandemic. And I didn't realize how much I would enjoy it. I really just have discovered that 
as a family physician by training, I was, I worked in family medicine for almost 14 years. I really could have a special insight into these patients who were coming to me, you know, for mental health care, but you know, they, no one is that, you know, one dimensional, right. They had their other medical concerns Mm -hmm. and I was not necessarily caring for them as their family doctor. I was just providing them with psychotherapy, but I just feel like as family doctors, we have maybe some unique insight into that whole person because that's just the way we're built, right? I don't think you can ever untrain a family doctor to, you know, see all the body systems all at the same time. Right. And so I really found that the area that was my main interest was supporting people who were coping with serious medical problems mm. um, like cancer, like chronic pain, and like other you know, chronic inflammatory disease that really had just kind of you know, rocked their world and changed their life mm. and how to sort of recalibrate and develop coping strategies with that. And again, as a family physician, having worked you know, in more of the medical aspect of that with patients, I felt that you know, doing the psychotherapy, having so much more time with people, you know, in family medicine, we we sometimes just feel like we have to rush through, you know, 10 minutes is never enough for some things. And it's really just been a pleasure to be able to spend an hour more with my patients now and really delve into like what's really going on for them, develop strategies for ways that they can cope better with, you know, whatever difficulties they're going through and really see some amazing growth and progress in people who are really committed, you know, people coming to me for psychotherapy, you know, they're, they're coming because they're, they're ready for some change and it's really just been beautiful to see. So how did you, I, I know that you told me before that you transitioned from family practice into psychotherapy practice. How did you, mm-hmm. like, did you keep your family, did you keep the patient panel that you had in family oh, practice? Yeah. So that means that you know most of your patients or did you? Oh, good point. Change? No, no, no. So um, it's all new patients that I'm okay. getting referred. I'm working for this virtual company. Okay. So we get patients from all over Ontario. So the majority of my patients don't even live within a couple hours drive of where I am. And I may see some of my previous family practice patients in psychotherapy because I'm not moving, but I don't think I said this yet. I I did just pass along my family practice to another physician who started today, actually. And so I was doing both for uh, just over a year, the family practice and the cognitive behavioral therapy fellowship. And then almost nine months ago, I decided, you know, I I think this is the next thing for me. This is the next step in my career Mm -hmm. is to do psychotherapy full-time. And I found someone who I really thought would be a great fit for my patients. And yeah, like I said, she started today. I'm glad that you found some, yeah, I'm glad you found somebody. So if I may ask then, uh, I know that you started only several months ago to do solely psychotherapy. Can you share with us what type of patients, like, do you study their medical charts too? Do you get to know about them medically too, or do you just focus on whatever problem they come mm-hmm. to you with in terms of whether it's anxiety, depression, or how do you build the... the yeah. Um, you know, I, I have to say, I sometimes enjoy not knowing all the details of their, their medical issues. Okay. Yeah, and, you know, sometimes in family medicine, we get bogged down by that, right? All the different medications and the past medical history and, you know, the laundry list of, you know, potential difficulties that they're experiencing. And for this, we really, you know, we focus solely on their mental health. I don't, I, if people come to me as sort of like a blank slate, I don't, I don't get a, okay. a chart on them in the, in our program where they just come with like an intake through our, our system. And so they often tell me their medications and things like that. But really, I think the beauty of psychotherapy is that a lot of us use something called a transdiagnostic approach where we really are more based on, you know, considering treating the symptoms and the struggles people are experiencing as opposed to like giving it a name. Okay. Um, and so sometimes people can come to me, you know, there's a very long wait in, in Ontario these days. It's, it's 
almost a year to see a psychiatrist. Oh, um, wow. So unless you're, you know, in crisis in the hospital, if it's just like for, you know, diagnostic clarification or that sort of thing, it's a very long time. And so people can come still sort of relatively undifferentiated. And as a family physician, psychotherapist, we don't tend to, you know, make a diagnosis necessarily, but we just work with people on what their struggles are and help them to cope a bit better. So I I use not only cognitive behavioral therapy, but also acceptance and commitment therapy and um, dialectical behavioral therapy. Lots more acronyms there, ACT and DBT. And a lot of that is on, you know, coping differently with emotions. And, you know, emotions are body sensations. So there's a lot of overlap between the body sensations of physical pain as well. So I have a couple of follow-up questions. Number one is a lot of patients with fibromyalgia in my practice, they do deal with anxiety Mm -hmm. and depression, sometimes uh, post-traumatic stress disorder. So I was curious, how would you approach that? And the second question as a Mm -hmm. sub-question is whether you do actually have any current patients with fibromyalgia. You know, I would have to go through my panel off the top of my head. I think there's probably a couple, but I don't think um, any of my patients were currently sort of focused on that as a reason for seeking psychotherapy. So in terms of addressing anxiety and depression, would you mind Mm -hmm. sharing with us how, like, how do you, you know, for, I have not gone through any psychotherapy training and I'm learning a lot through my, through my courses and education, but how do you approach it? You know, the mental health issue, if it is anxiety, Mm -hmm. let's say, or yeah, we can choose anxiety if that's okay with you. Like, how do you break it down? How do you do, what are the Mm -hmm. steps? Yeah. So essentially like at our first appointment, I would go through, you know, the patient's history, you know, what, what brought them to seek psychotherapy there, you know, sort of very similar to what we would do in a, in a regular medical history. Mm-hmm. And, and then really once I get a sense of where they're coming from and what's happening for them, we sometimes we set goals and really all of the therapy is based on what the patient's goal might be. Although in, in psychotherapy, we have this um, term that we call dead people's goals, because for example, someone might come to me um, with anxiety and say their goal is to never feel anxious again. And then mm. you can sort of talk about how we would call that a dead person's goal oh, because as a living, breathing human being, <laughs> we're, we're always going to experience anxiety from time to time. It's just part of being human. And so then we can say, okay, so if you were experiencing, if you were, I should say, if you had a different relationship to your anxiety, you know, then what might you be doing Perfect. differently? That's, and we that's sometimes so talk amazing. More about yeah, I've so never heard that expression, but I love it. I'm yeah. going to start using it with your permission. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, you yeah. I didn't invent it. It's not. Oh, it's I not was going to ask whether you coined the term because the, it's very similar with chronic pain. It's not necessarily mm-hmm. a good goal to never experience pain exactly. again. To have zero out of ten pain all the right, time. Right, but yeah. to change a relationship with it. So I love it. I love it. So mm-hmm. okay, so that's that's that happens at the beginning, and then how do you tackle it if you are willing to share some of it with us? Yeah, yeah. So I mean. In, in cognitive behavioral therapy, we sort of conceptualize things in a few different different levels. So there's automatic thoughts, which are the thoughts that just pop into your mind. And we sometimes take a look at those. The traditional tool that we use in cognitive behavioral therapy for, for automatic thoughts is called a thought record, where in at what I often explain to my patients, it's almost like, you know, we're, we're engaging in a, a very, you know, open-minded debate. And your mind is offering us one side of this debate. For example, I'll never find a life partner, someone might say, right? No, no one would ever want to date me, something like that, right? And we can say, okay, so this is the perspective your mind is offering you. And, you know, how does that make you feel? We kind of tune into that emotional experience, not only the one word name for the emotion, but also sometimes they can tune into those body sensations. And then we go through what's the evidence that that thought is true? What's the evidence that perhaps something else is more true? 
And sometimes what we realize is, is every human brain does this. There's a lot of all or nothing thinking that comes in, right? And so even like that example I gave, like I'll never find someone, you know, is, a, is an example of all or nothing thinking, that black or white thinking. And so sometimes we don't necessarily flip the thought to become, oh, for sure I'll find someone, but we just come to what we call a balanced thought. And okay. another word that, that is used in CBT for pain management is gray thoughts. So instead of the, the black or white thinking where, you know, I, everything's all good or all bad, it's like, oh, you know, life happens in the gray zones. So what are these like gray oh, thoughts or another word is like a balanced thought. And so that sometimes then we can re-rate the mood after we come up with some evidence for the, the balanced thought. And we ask questions like, you know, are, could you be making some assumptions? You know, has there ever been a time when you didn't think that was true? What would you tell a friend if she told you she was thinking this? So self-compassion kind of approach too. So do you have patients or clients, do you have them practice that? Like, do they have like sheets where they practice it every day? The thought record is is like a a worksheet. Yeah. And so I have one patient actually who who really loves them. And she said she left blank thought record pages all over her house. (laughs) And then just whenever she thought of it and she would see a page and she would sit down and write one out. Although sometimes people, you know, that, cognitive approach doesn't resonate. So for a lot of patients, I actually start more with just noticing thoughts and not necessarily arguing with them for lack of a better word, but just noticing Mm -hmm. and sometimes even just rephrasing. Like, so for example, that, that thought I gave, you know, I'll never find a life partner. If we change that and say, I notice the thought in my mind, I'll never find a life partner. Then sometimes that helps us to just hold it with a little bit more space instead of being you know, overrun by it, or another word we use is hooked by it and allowing those thoughts to yank us around and control our experience. We can say, oh, I noticed my mind is telling me whatever that thought might be. And then we can kind of just kind of step back from it a little bit. You know, that's an example of using mindfulness and then take a look at it differently. And then we can do that the same thing with our emotions. So of course, that's another axis that we can take a look at is the experience of emotions I often encourage people to tune into what are the body sensations related to their emotion. How do you know you're feeling angry or sad or frustrated or anxious? And then sometimes that, you know, can we just sit with that and notice that emotional sensation as opposed to what we often do is do what the emotion tells us to do. In dialectical behavioral therapy, we say that every emotion has an associated action urge, meaning that whenever you feel something, yeah. So whenever you feel an emotion, you feel compelled to do something. Right. So I feel angry. I want to slam a door or raise my voice with my kids. I want to eat. I want to eat sugar. (laughs) Eat sugar. Yeah, exactly. And so we start to notice, okay, I have this urge to do this and then start to recognize that our power really lies in not necessarily responding to the urge. Right. We can just notice it and then we can choose to do what really matters to us, what supports our values or what makes our life more meaningful. So yeah, so many different directions we can take this, right? I think I was starting off saying there's the automatic thought level. We can do thought records. We can talk about the experience of emotions. And sometimes I then dig down over a few sessions and we get to the next layer below automatic thoughts, which is underlying assumptions. And this really forms the automatic thoughts for people. And an underlying assumption is like an if-then statement. Okay. Um, like So like if, if I go for a walk, you know, my knee will hurt too much. Mm. Or you know, if I call this person, they won't call me back or something like that. And then we can sort of take a look at those. And then there's the core beliefs and core beliefs are always in three areas. One would be beliefs about ourselves, beliefs about the world and beliefs about other people. Mm. And then, you know, within those beliefs about ourselves, there's sort of three core components, you know, or, or, or types of perhaps maladaptive beliefs, like the belief that I'm not capable, I'm not lovable mm. um, or mm. I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
And when you, I was going to go back just for a little bit to the, the alternate, uh, when you talked about automatic thoughts, how yeah. you instruct your clients to then notice them or mm-hmm. keep record of the thoughts. Do, have they told you that they had breakthroughs in terms of when they started mm-hmm. noticing them, that they had any change in outcome that they may have felt yeah. less anxious or different yeah, outcomes? Yeah. Yeah. No, for sure. I think we can't underestimate the power of awareness, right? And just noticing without the intention to change something sometimes really can make it change, right? To just notice, oh, like I said before, oh, this is my mind telling me. Because then we start to notice it's not just a fact, right? Another expression in, in cognitive behavioral therapy is don't believe everything you think, right? right. And, and sometimes we walk around doing that, right? We just, we think something and we think we're just reporting the weather or just stating a fact. And, you know, sometimes we are, but quite often our mind is offering us a perspective that might not be helpful. And so sometimes I even ask people, you know, is this thought helpful or is it harmful? And we kind of operate on that axis as opposed to, you know, is it true or false? Mm-hmm. So uh, talking about a core beliefs, I know that, I mean, it's yeah. big area and books are written on it, but if you yeah. were just to pick, uh, do you have your clients pick just one? Like when you have a session, do they mm-hmm. talk, let's say, we talked about being not worthy or not deserving. Do you, do you then address one maladaptive core belief at a time or like, how do you approach that? Yeah. So with the core beliefs, we often sort of just have a bit of a discussion about, you know, what they've noticed and how that belief shows up in their life. And sometimes we just have a open discussion about, you know, what else could be a possible belief. And we really talk about the idea of creating a flexible belief right? So again, this idea of black and white thinking trickles all the way down to our core beliefs that, you know, things are more complicated than our brains sometimes like to categorize them into. And so sometimes having some flexible perspectives on ourselves or on the world, like for example, someone who's been through a difficult experience might say, you know, the world is not a safe place, might be a belief they come to. And it makes sense, right? They've had a really hard time. And of course their brain is giving them that belief. And then sometimes we can, you know, take a look and say, yeah, you know, sometimes bad things happen. And and also sometimes there are people I can trust, you know, that might be an example of a more flexible belief. And Mm -hmm. and then what we have people do is, you know, identify that new belief. I think one at a time is reasonable because this is sort of big core issues. And then we have them do what we call a core belief record where they go forward in time. Okay. And they think about, as opposed to a thought record, which is more retrospective, like thinking, okay, like, has there been a time in the past when I thought something different? And, you know, what would I tell a friend? But with a core belief record, we sort of set it as a homework item after our therapy Mm -hmm. session and they go forward and they start looking for evidence and sometimes actually creating that evidence in their life of how this new core belief is actually more true than the one that they believed inadvertently, Mm. you know, that they just believed because, you know, they never, we never consider our core beliefs necessarily until therapy. Yeah. Would would you be willing to share any, like if, if any specific clients or situations come to your mind? I know you haven't been doing it for too many months yet, but would you be willing to share any that come to your mind? Anything that's stuck to your... Yeah, yeah. I mean, I was, I'm just thinking of a patient with anxiety who we, we sort of were, you know, often in anxiety, sometimes beliefs are based on more, not maybe not, this isn't so much of a core belief necessarily in terms of the true intention of the word, but more of a belief about the purpose of worry. So a lot of times people with anxiety believe that, again, this is not like a formed sentence in their mind, but when we uncover it, they believe like, if I worry about all the possible outcomes, you know, then I can be safe. Like then I can prevent something bad from happening, 
right? Mm-hmm. And, and when we recognize that really, you know, we can't ever be certain even of what all the possible variables are, right? For example, then a global pandemic hits <laughs> and, you right. know, who predicted that, right? And so when we walk around in our lives, you know, worrying about quote unquote everything, all we really do is take away from our enjoyment of the present moment. And we don't necessarily prepare ourselves any better for a future difficulty because the, that future difficulty we're thinking about may never come. That's an example of something I worked on with a patient recently was, you know, this idea of worry being necessary and worry somehow preventing bad things from happening. And then really, again, through experience, they start to recognize, yeah, but then when I worry, what actually happens? Oh, I feel more anxious. And, you know, I don't enjoy time with my partner. And then, you know what? I I don't really come up with any good solutions. It's not really problem solving. It's just, you know, circular thinking and catastrophizing. And, And then we can start to kind of disentangle ourselves from this belief and start to believe something new. You know what? Sometimes I do need to think about my problems, but I know that I can cope with things even if I haven't predicted it. You know, something like that kind of can become a more So she had that insight. She had like the aha moment that she realized that it was not helpful. Mm-hmm. And was she able to drop some of the worry? Was she able to... Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like, like I said, it's not an all or nothing thing. So it definitely, okay. you know, it takes time. And sometimes even then just, again, getting back to that awareness, then they start to notice, oh, I see myself worrying and I recognize it's not helpful. And mm-hmm. that can be one step. And then sometimes then actually, you know, changing that behavior or creating a new habit, really, because I think in, in that way, you know, anxiety and worry can be seen as habits. Mm-hmm. And we know we can, we can rewire our brains to have new habits, but it does take time. Right. Um, and when you've inadvertently created a, a a loop in your mind, you know, over the years, it takes time to create a new one. I really appreciate for all this information. So in, to summarize, so far, what I'm understanding is the big, big uh, component of the road to recovery or improvement is awareness. And then mm-hmm. kind of questioning, questioning our thoughts or noticing them first and questioning, is it true? How it might not be true? Mm-hmm. What else could be possible? If you were to give advice, as I said, uh, many of my patients with fibromyalgia do suffer with anxiety and depression. Mm-hmm. If you were, and I know it may not be possible to give generalized advice, but if you were to, let's mm-hmm. say if we pick anxiety in particular, if you were to, if they were, if they were asking you right now, well, Dr. Bailey, what, mm-hmm. how do I even start? What would you say? Yeah. You know what? My first thought about where to start would be actually like with the sensation of anxiety in the body. And Mm -hmm. I think sometimes what we do, I sometimes talk about it as like a pot on the stove that's boiling. And, you know, when you turn on the water and that you put the lid on the pot, it takes a while for the water to heat up. And sometimes what happens in our lives is we kind of, we don't really watch that pot, right? So throughout our day, whether it's from pain or other stress that kind of adds to, you know, the anxiety we feel, that water starts to boil. And then sometimes I imagine then, you know, someone comes and cranks up the temperature, right? Then, you know, your boss sends you an email about some urgent thing that you forgot and the temperature gets cranked up. Then, you know, one of your kids has some crisis and cranks up the temperature. Mm -hmm. And if we're not paying attention to what, what, what we're feeling in our body when it comes to that anxiety, of course, at some point, that pot's going to boil over, right. right? And at that point, you know, you can't push the lid down any harder to stop the pot from boiling over, right? It's kind of already happening. And so what I, I like to encourage people to do is to just kind of pay attention to how much tension they're carrying in their body and how and how that shows up. So some people say, you know, they feel like it's in their shoulders. Some people notice it in their jaw or maybe even just in their chest and just kind of tuning in and, and doing an exercise. This is from Dr. Rachel Zoffness um, called pocket relaxation where when you just notice that you're carrying a bit more tension 
in your body, not when you're like at the boiling over point, but when you know Mm -hmm. it's starting to kind of bubble and you're noticing, you know, wherever that anxiety sensation or tense feeling might be, is to take, take a deep breath in and on the exhalation to just try to imagine that you're releasing that tension down through your feet, almost like you're like a downspout on an eaves trough, you know, when it's pouring rain and that water's just like flowing out of that downspout. Or another way I like to visualize it is like you're like a lightning rod and the lightning is just like flowing through you and grounding out into the ground. And that's where that tension is going. It's just like flowing out your feet into the ground. And this has some really interesting neuroscience behind it. We know that the exhalation phase of our breath can help to stimulate the parasympathetic nervous system, which is our Mm -hmm. relaxation part of our body. So this is Mm -hmm. using the body to help to relax the mind, but also, of course, using the body to help to relax the body, right? Because we hold our stress in our bodies as well. Right. So sometimes just you're noticing that, okay, yeah, I feel like, yeah, I'm kind of getting tense or, you know, maybe my heart's beating faster or whatever is that, you know, cue that their body gives them that they're getting a bit more stressed or that that temperature on the pot on the stove is getting higher turned Uh up. And then just, and it can, sometimes it only takes one breath, right? It's not like you have to go and, you know, lock yourself in a room for 15 minutes and do an exercise, but even just one or two breaths and just really, you know, releasing as best as you can any of that stress or tension right down now. through your feet. Pre- <laughs> yeah. yeah. So and even called, just noticing where your feet are on the ground, right? And, it's, and yeah. this is a pocket relaxation? Yeah, that's what Dr. Zoffness calls it, is pocket relaxation. Yeah, because you kind of have the, it in your pocket. You can do it anytime. I see. And it's a yeah. book by Dr. Rachel Zoffness. Um, yes, that's right. The Pain Management Workbook. Pain Management Workbook. Yeah. It's a great think- workbook. Yeah. Thank you so much, Jill. I really appreciate it. Do you have any online clients that can, like, if somebody was inclined to look you up, do you have, how how can people find you? Yeah, sure. So, So for anyone who's a resident of Ontario, Canada, they would be welcome to look me up at TeleCBT. So the company that I work with is TELECBT.ca and they, they can just sign up on the website for an intake appointment. I also do a little bit of life coaching and that's Jill Bailey, MD, lifecoaching.ca. I'll put the the name under notes and the telecbt.ca, that's, uh, they have to look up, like, is there a name? They have to put your name in search if they... Yeah, what they can do is they can just fill out the form for an intake and then they can indicate on their intake that they'd like to see me. Okay. Thank you so much for your time yeah. and sharing. This is, I'm, I'm fascinated by psychotherapy. I'm trying to learn myself yeah. more as a rheumatologist. So I'm also, you know, Western oh, medicine yeah. trained. So I appreciate your time. I may have follow-up questions or my, my listeners might. I appreciate your time. Sure. And um, thank you so much. Yeah. Oh, well, thank you, Martina. I'm so glad to have this opportunity. If you like this episode, please share with someone who can benefit from it too. For questions and comments, you can find me on Facebook under Martina Lenartova, that is M-A-R-T-I-N-A-L-E-N-A-R-T-O-V-A, or on my website at www.martinazingenbeinmdcoaching.com, and that is www.martinazie. G-E-N-B-E-I-N-M-D-Coaching.com. And lastly, as always, I appreciate a lovely five-star review or feedback from you at any time. <laughs>